I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? I know. Welcome to Theology Unplugged, friends. It's great to have you joining us here at the Credo House. Though you are not here in person, you are here in spirit as you join us over the World Wide Web. Do we even call it World Wide Web anymore? No, it's kind of outdated. Is it? Just, uh, that dates you, doesn't the it? The web, yeah. We are yeah. on the World Wide Web. And internet is singular, not plural, so don't join us on the internets. I've never or said something that. Like that. No, I mean, that's just a general. You didn't say that, but that's a general faux pas as well. I've never heard that before. The well, internets. I think that's a George Bushism. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are um, continuing our discussion today on why I am slash not charismatic. Folks of this discussion, as we have Sam Storms joining us, Sam Storms is charismatic. I am not charismatic. Tim, what are you? I'm on a continuum in between soft cessationism and uh, on a continuation charism. continuum. Yeah, but I there you go throwing I, out I know, words again. No, I'm on. You did a great chart. I thought where there was kind of a sliding slope between between soft cessationist. I, I'd say for sure I'm soft cessationist, but I know Sam and JJ dislike that uh, that continuum, and so but there I am. Sam didn't say he dislikes it. Well, I think he did actually in his. I think you said that in no, your in your he, post. He I, I just said I'm incapable of producing charts and sliding scales like Michael yeah. is, and I, not that I disagreed with what he was saying by means of it. Just that yeah, I took well, I took you, offense you to the fact that all I have is words. But you, <laughs> but but you did in your post say though that you didn't like. You like someone to either be cessationist or not, because if you feel like you're in between, you're kind of obeying scripture, and so uh, so that that is where I I took that. So and not to jump into our discussion, if you wanted to mention other yeah, things, you, but just you to have throw a that habit out there. Of jumping right into the middle. Of things. Yeah, I, I, I what I was saying is I have a problem with somebody who's theologically continuationist, yeah, and and functioning cessationist. Yeah. To me that's inconsistent. That if you really believe that God continues to operate through all the gifts, then I think you have a biblical responsibility to cultivate them and to pursue them and to mm-hmm. begin to figure out ways of implementing them in your life in the church. I so that's what I was saying. So like a soft cessationist you'd say, well, I can that's not that's not being entirely sinful in their conviction because no, you're they, only partially sinful. Yeah, thank you. That's what I was sensing. Thank you for the I, thank here, you for the here's encouragement. Here's why you're more sinful is because you're using words that our audience has not been introduced to. This Remember, I am the center here. <laughs> I regulate. I I think in terms of the audience. I let you guys. You're go. the dictionary. When, when I let you guys go, I let you go. I haven't okay. let you go yet. Okay. Okay. Um, we are discussing the issue of the charismatic versus cessationism, or versus non charismatic. Yeah. That that may be the way we put it right now. Um, a great debate, Sam. Uh, a continued debate. A debate that causes many people to divide, uh, to have uh, quite a bit of hostility towards each other. Oftentimes, yeah, I've seen it to where, and the reason why I say I've seen it is because I've been there before, to where one side will label the other side either as very, very far away from the Lord or go so far as to say that 
you know, that this is an indication that you're not saved. Both sides have that. So we're not talking about an issue that is that is just a casual issue that, right. that we don't want you guys to worry too much about or think too much about because you're going to come in contact with this and you're going to wonder about it. And we want you to be in studio with us as we, me, who believes one way, Sam, who believes another way, discuss this. Last week we had JJ mm-hmm. uh, in with us, and hopefully he'll be able to join us again next week. He was unable to to uh, make it for this broadcast. But we, we want to have a good discussion that shows how we can have fellowship as believers yet discuss such a central or such an important issue. Now, yeah. Sam, last week, here's what I did. I tried to clarify everything as we ended. And you wouldn't allow me to do that. <laughs> I <it>. muddied <laughs> things up. Yeah, uh, The spirit is about order. You were about disorder. That's at that right. Point. I'm into chaos <laughs> and confusion. And I think it is showing that you know what we're, we keep trying to find the center of the issue and to say, let's just talk about the center and leave the periphery thing. And it's, just, it's, been, it's hard to nail down the center because uh, there's just many facets to this issue, it seems like. What is the linchpin of the issue, Sam? What makes someone a charismatic or not a charismatic? I think the most helpful way to um, focus the discussion is to bring it down to a discussion of the gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Um, I don't, as we said, as I indicated last time, I don't think it's an issue of style of worship. I don't think it has to do, I mean, I can go to... uh, um, a Southern Baptist church that is um, confessionally or traditionally cessationist and find worship style uh, similar to what I would find uh, if I turned on TBN. Uh, I, I don't like it framed in terms of uh, an awareness of the Holy Spirit or a dependence upon the Spirit because then charismatics are put in the position of questioning the sincerity and the devotion of non-charismatics. Uh, I think I have countless uh, cessationist friends who are deeply sensitive to the presence of the Spirit, who are uh, very much um, conscious of the spiritual battle. Um, they take Ephesians 6 uh, mm-hmm. very much to heart, that our battle isn't against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. So I don't necessarily think it is the recognition of the demonic. Now, how we approach that, we'll talk about that maybe in a future broadcast. There is a difference between how I would deal with somebody maybe who's demonized and maybe how you or Tim might. But that's another issue for another day. Um, So I I think um, that to help us, it really does come down, and you raised this in the the previous uh, podcast, or broadcast, whatever the difference is. <laughs> the same. Yeah. The issue of you identified three gifts, tongues, healing, prophecy. Well, if we took the gifts, the nine gifts of 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10, those are where, that's where the debate rages. Mm-hmm. You know, what is a word of knowledge? Is it revelatory? And does a, the fact that there may be revelatory gifts like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and prophecy in which God actually communicates above and beyond but never contrary to Scripture? Does he do that in the present day? If he does, how do we learn to listen? How do we evaluate and discern? How do we judge those purported revelatory words? Uh, Does the Spirit of God enable uh, some Christians to pray uh, 
um, in, a, in some sort of linguistic um, expression beyond that of their normal uh, speech. Um, does God impart gifts of healing? Um, are there uh, miracles? I mean, Paul seems to say that there is a spiritual gift of miracles. He says it right there in 1 Corinthians 12. So what about discerning of spirits? Should we expect God to grant us insight into the source or cause or origin of somebody's struggle so that we can know whether it's of the flesh or whether this is demonic or whether it's uh, the result of some psychological um, dysfunction in their life? So it really does come down, I think, to how we understand those nine gifts um, and whether we believe they are operative today, whether we believe God wants them to characterize the existence of his church in the present day. Does that help? Yes, it does. I, I think it will focus our discussion then. I mean, mm-hmm. so the audience and, and we do not think we're talking about many of these other things that we could talk about, which we will talk about. But the central issue would be the well, – sometimes it's called continuationism. Mm-hmm. Continuationism meaning that certain gifts or all the gifts really – have continued all the gifts of the spirit. Uh, a few listings of the gifts, Sam. There may be some other ones, but uh, I remember this by uh, Ephesians chapter four, First Peter chapter four, First um, uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, and Romans chapter twelve. Right, those are the primary ones. And then First Corinthians chapter twelve, as you said, is really the primary one that speaks about certain gifts that other sides, such as myself, would say. Uh, we, we use the word ceased. Mm-hmm. I don't really like to be called a secessionist because I don't think I'm a cessationist. Um, I think that I'm not a charismatic, but I'm not a secessionist. But many people would argue that certain gifts ceased due to an exhaustion in purpose. Uh, and, and Sam, I'm going to put you on the spot here and feel free to chime in here. Now, can I bring up church history or am I forbidden no, for no church, church history? history. <laughs> okay. No church history. Because, well, because John Chrysostom does use that term. Well, uh, well the reason why I want to use it. And he was the first, by the way, which yeah. is significant because that was around 400 AD. Yeah. Yeah, but but, but there, those okay. no, but those terms are you know they're not like in 1960 somebody picked up this word and said okay this is how I'm going to describe my interpretation you know well but, it's just the 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 church has <laughs> believed and had certain people to today in this room yeah. who believe that um that that believe that uh, the sign gifts I guess the best way to put it is ceased due to an exhaustion in purpose. Now, Sam, you've been a non-charismatic or a cessationist before. Yes. Why would cessationists argue that certain gifts have ceased? Give me the basic of their argument. So you want me to defend yeah, yeah, your position? You I, I, it's not really my position, <laughs> but it remember, kind of is. Michael's a softy. I'm I'm one who can go either way, and you know I, can, I I'm I'm one of those types of guys that uh, doesn't have a problem uh, um, denying oh. whatever is applied to me as a label. Okay. There are, and Tim will like this because I will mention church history. <laughs> when I was a cessationist. There were three primary reasons why I embraced. Well, I take back. Let me let me expand that to four. Four primary reasons why I embraced that view. Number one, I believed at that time, which I no longer do, 
that the primary, if not exclusive, purpose of so-called miraculous gifts, and we'll probably need to define those terms. Sign gifts. No, no. <laughs> Can't even say it, can you? <laughs> More overtly supernatural <laughs> gifts. My belief was that their primary, if not its sole purpose, was to bear witness to the gospel message, uh, the truth of who Jesus is and the authenticity of his claims. Secondly, uh, there was my belief then, which I no longer hold now, that the perpetuity or the continuation of certain of those gifts, particularly ones we might call revelatory, like prophecy, word of knowledge, and the like, would undermine or compromise the sufficiency and the finality of the canon of Scripture. That you can't have revelation in any sense of the term continuing beyond the uh, final um, authorship of the last book of the Bible. Did you used to use when perfection comes? Tongues. I will used cease. to. Yeah, used to. But which no, basically nobody uses. Not that even anymore. cessationists use that <laughs> passage anymore. Yeah. The third argument that I employed was uh, from church history. Uh, I erroneously believed that there was uh, no evidence within the first four to five hundred years of the church's life of the ongoing operation of these gifts. Now I know that to be false, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. Uh, and then, of course, you have to deal with the rest of church history. Certainly for the medieval period, um, you, you find a decided diminishing presence of miraculous or supernatural gifts. They're usually only among some of the more um, out-of-the-mainstream sects. Hey, when you say decided, you mean decidedly or... Are you saying that? I, 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 what, I'm sorry. You're gonna, you said you, you see a decided. A decidedly. Is it a decisive? Decidedly? No. Here, so he's basically I'm lost saying. On that word. Yeah, he's basically saying everybody would agree that during the medieval time, it's hard to find these gifts being used. Yes, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Right. Thank you, Tim, for interpreting. <laughs> see well, see a, the gift of interpretation is across, uh, <laughs> across the table from me right there. Yeah. And, and then, you were speaking in tongues because yes. he had no idea what you were talking and about. And then the fourth argument. Uh, which wasn't really an argument, but it was probably the most powerful thing was my uh, disdain for, if that bordered on contempt, uh, of those fanatics who um, whose outrageous claims and behavior I thought brought uh, great dishonor on the name of Jesus and upon the gospel, and um, I, my desire not to be even remotely associated with them. That ex- exerted... Maybe a, a subconscious influence, but a very powerful one on my cessationism. Okay, you, so you said the purpose of the gifts um, was your first one. Yes. The third one was the history. Mm-hmm. The, the second one had to do with the the potential threat to the sufficiency and finality oh, okay, of Scripture yeah, yeah, if revelatory gifts are still operative. Now, now let me. And add the fourth a, one was fear. Let me add a fifth for you because I'm, I'm not saying that this is it but it was there any sense in which in which you did not have and any type of experience that contributed to this now i'm not saying at the time because i, I know the way you might think of the time that experience doesn't have anything to do with my argumentation but looking back now would you say that ex- the lack of a charismatic experience had any bearing upon your position as a yes. cessationist yes it did uh, I, although i did have one profound Charismatic experience that I shared in our first uh, blog installment when we I told share my story it here on the no on the we didn't broadcast uh, happened when I was 19 years old at the University of Oklahoma and it was truly profound but 
then it, there were basically 20 years between that and anything that I could point to as being um, undeniably, I think, a, an expression of the supernatural work of the Spirit. Well, I want to get to that uh, experience probably in a later broadcast, and, and I know that you did not share that on, I think, your story here, but you know, you'd shared a lot, but that was a, something that was unique to the blog. Again, yes. folks, we are going through this here and on the blog, and we're not just simply repeating each one, but I think they're kind of feeding after off each other as well and advancing each other but um we're, we're trying to keep it to where we're not you're not dependent upon reading the blog in order to uh have uh benefit from what we're discussing here but let's i i think that um i think that we've agreed and i'm more than willing to go here and agree that it is the issue of continuationism versus cessationism and depending upon which side of the fence you fall there, that is the issue that we want to discuss and devote the rest of our time to, right? Yeah, and then I think I think it would be that issue then kind of the implications of that, you know, how it's viewed um, upon other churches as well. So, uh, you know, with w- w- what's kind of at stake if this is either on which end we look at it, you know, so Sam, what's at stake if we do not embrace this in our church that I go to, or what's at stake, Sam, if, uh, if you embrace this and it's not true or something. So it's kind of, I think giving, yes, let's talk about this, but then let's talk about the pragmatic aspects of what's at stake if these are not uh, being utilized. The so what? So let's let's go to the yeah. so what. Yeah, the so and what. And let's both. I, I think we need to all go this, and I don't want to put this all on Sam and say, so what, Sam? You know, I'm here neutral trying to keep myself, because I do have a so what. You know, I do have a thoughts on, on if I am not charismatic, if you are not charismatic, here's how your life is. And if you are charismatic, here your life is. And one of the things that I've noticed, Sam, and I don't know if you've read through many of the comments, but I've tried to keep up on the comments because I, I like to get – I usually don't on my blog will read any of the comments. But on this one, I want to get a feel for what's out there because the mood changes. I mean, in 10 years, the mood has changed to some degree within evangelicalism towards this issue. And I wanted to see what the mood is like now. But I do see a lot of the same type of – at least out there with uh, you guys who, who are dealing with this issue on a day-to-day basis and, and not in Credo House Studios discussing this issue. I do see a lot of people that are not charismatic that are talking about the so what. And I, I see kind of this defeatedness – with regards to their experiences themselves and almost like it's just not worth it. Once you put your foot in these waters, yeah, there's some good waters out there, but there's just so much bad stuff that, that it eats away at you. I've, I've read a lot of people who have been in the movement, who are still in the movement, who say, I still believe in continuationism, but I'm coming out of the charismatic movement because I just can't deal with the abuses anymore. It's too hard. It's, there's too many people, even in my church, that um, are, are false with regards to this. And his whole, the, the, these people that I see are kind of like, it's too hard to keep order whenever you release such chaos. And so from my standpoint, the first thing, and I admit this, the first thing that comes up to the so what is, so what, you're entering into very dangerous grounds. So it's almost like, okay, if I acquiesce and say, yes, the, continue, the sign gifts have continued, um, here, here, let me open up you to this field that is out there. And as we've talked about before, Sam, 
don't judge the the issue by its worst. Its abuses, yeah. It's almost impossible for these people not to judge the issue by the abuses because the abuses are so easy to come by. And you see the same thing in 1 Corinthians. Yep. And let's let's not overlook the fact that this isn't a problem unique to the 21st century. This was a problem that Paul had to address in the 1st century. Uh, the Perfect illustration of this is 1 Thessalonians 5. I mean, here is a very mature body of believers, the Thessalonians, uh, about whom Paul seems to say only positive things, who evidently, uh, whether it was a minority or a majority, the way Paul writes, it sounds as if it was a fairly prevalent uh, conviction in their midst that uh, for whatever reason they had come to despise prophecy. And I've had people ask me, why do you think Paul had to tell the the Thessalonians, don't despise prophetic utterances? And I said, for the same reason that we have to take that exhortation to heart today. My guess is there were people abusing prophecy, elevating it above all other gifts, maybe manipulating lives. Maybe there had been so-called prophetic words that hadn't come true, and people were disillusioned and heartbroken. Um, maybe there were just messes, maybe there was chaos. The same reasons why we tend to despise prophetic utterances today, they did then. And yet Paul's response is, uh, don't quench the spirit by doing that. If you despise prophetic utterances, you're quenching the spirit. Mm -hmm. And he says the response to that is to test, to weigh, to analyze, to judge purported alleged prophetic words, Hold fast to what is good. Reject that which is evil. So I think the, and I think you're exactly right, Michael. I've 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 been reading a lot of the comments just to let people know, though I usually don't respond to them, but I have been reading them, and it's it's fairly standard in that people have had some really horrid experiences. They've been hurt. People they know and love have been wounded. Uh, expectations have been elevated through maybe a, a purported revelatory experience, and then it didn't come to pass, and they're crushed. And I think that this is something that is common to Christian experience across the centuries. It certainly was in the first century. And you even were about ready to mention 1 Corinthians. Uh, here is a church that had um, had abused gifts, that had... Uh, uh, Many of those who exercised certain so-called supernatural or miraculous gifts were passing themselves off as superior and more mature than those who didn't. They tended to dominate the corporate meetings of the assembly. Paul had some harsh words of rebuke for them. But at the very end, after all was said and done, notwithstanding the extent of the abuse, notwithstanding all of the disillusioned hearts he was having to pastor, he closes chapter 14 by saying, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues. So there has to be a way, in my opinion anyway, I think there has to be a way using the word of God as our guide and as our infallible authority to to shape and fashion the life of the corporate body of Christ in accordance with the reality of these gifts that doesn't uh, lead to the chaos and the woundedness and the disillusionment and the embarrassment that so many of these people that we're talking about have experienced. If I didn't believe that, I, I certainly wouldn't be walking down this path. But 
Paul's response is not to his response to abuse is not disuse. It's proper use. And he provides guidelines. He provides principles that I think if we are faithful to follow, uh, we can do this successfully. I, I'm not some Pollyanna who has this naive view that that all the problems are going to disappear They're, because the problem real, the problem is not spiritual gifts. The problem is fleshly, selfish, immature Christians who don't know how to understand and apply God's word and to humble themselves before the Lord. You know, we get these outrageous claims that are made. People use us, uh, charismatic gifts as a way of promoting their own agenda, maybe padding their pocketbook with, with bigger offerings, uh, increasing their platform and their fame. They're always going to be around. But I just still have confidence in, in the way I see Paul responding to the same kinds of abuses. Uh, and his instruction isn't to abandon spiritual gifts, but it is to exercise discernment and follow the guidelines that he set forth. And I know that chaos, and I know that we all know this, mm-hmm. and I want to remind us, we know that chaos or non-chaos does not determine the truthfulness of it. And I think that's one thing that we, we need to recognize here. Yeah. And it's hard not to. I mean, that's what I'm saying, and that's what I see. It's hard not to. It's hard not to say, hey, it's just not worth it. It's You know, I could see Paul just say, just quit speaking in tongues. I tried it. Uh, Fourth Corinthians. All right, let's try this one more time. Please, everybody, you know, quit abuse. Just forget it, you guys. No more of those things. Let's just preach and, you know, those kind of – I can see that, and yeah. I think I, I very much see what you're saying, though, Sam, is that Paul ends by saying, even though there's these abuses, keep pressing forward. And that's a very hard thing to do. And then we ask, okay, to what end? What is the what is the benefit of that? Sure. Well, of course, the benefit in the end is to say you're obeying God's word, right? That's mm-hmm. your argument that you would ultimately would make, I think. Well, well yeah, and, but I think, and there I think are that other you're benefits. well that you're living out the life of the church in the way that God designed it too. I would say, you know, but, in Sam's perspective, right? But there's more than that. I mean, there are very explicit statements there in First Corinthians twelve. Um, where Paul says in verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then he goes on to list these nine miraculous gifts. So there is a good, there is a corporate blessing and benefit that comes from faithfully exercising these gifts in accordance with God's will. And then uh, in uh, chapter 14, uh, Paul in verse 5 talks about when prophecy functions as it should, and when tongues are properly interpreted, the result is the church is built up. And then in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, when you come together, one of you has a hymn, one of you has a teaching, one has a revelation, another has a tongue, another has an interpretation. So what? Why, Paul? Well, he tells us, let all things be done for building up or edification. So, when I ask, answer the so what question, I say, well, the church still needs to be built up. We haven't, we haven't matured beyond the need for edification. We're still weak. We're still immature. We're still ignorant. And I believe the gifts have been given just like tools for building a house. If somebody asked me to you know, come build a house from scratch, I'm not just going to show up with a hammer and a screwdriver. I'm going to get every available instrument and mechanical device that is existent to help me do the work. And I think the same thing goes with the building up of the local church. 
whatever tools, whatever instruments, whatever means God has imparted and given so that we can be edified and strengthened and and taught and encouraged. I want to avail myself of those. So that's one of the so what answers. No, no, Sam. It, it, it seems like you're. What's that? No, it, <laughs> it seems like your your ex, the post where you talked about your experience though in in really having these gifts come to fruition in your life seemed to be pretty individualistic. I mean, most of them did not happen in a corporate setting. So how do you view kind of your experience? Would you just say your individual, uh, you know, like hearing, having that guy prophesy over you, that that uh, ultimately benefited the the collective body of Christ because it led you to be who you are today and things like that? Like how are you? Because it seemed like a lot of your experiences were pretty individual, you by yourself. Well, a few yeah, of them. He's pulling out the gauntlet right now. No, I'm just. <laughs> hey, I'm, I, 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 I love. No, there, this is a, a love, few of man. them. A few of them are, but that's in, that's unavoidable because I am an individual. And if God gives an individual a gift, then that individual is necessarily going to be profoundly affected by it. I was incredibly encouraged when I and have been on multiple occasions when I have uh, had a prophetic word or a word of knowledge that to me is unmistakably um, revelatory and supernatural in nature. And what it did was, not only did it build me up, encouraged my faith, increased my confidence in God and His love for me and an awareness of His presence, but in turn, I then take that to you or to Michael or to somebody else in the body or through my preaching corporately. So, for example, let's just use Paul's statement about... um, where he says the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And a lot of people have said, well, that's bad. That's a, that's a word of condemnation. Mm. No, it isn't. Mm. Every spiritual gifts, gift edifies the person who exercises it. Yeah. If you have the gift of teaching, Michael, every time you exercise the gift of teaching, or you, Tim, in a discipleship class or a boot camp here at Credo House, you're edified by your preparation, by your thinking, by your communication of those truths. You're built up in your faith, but so are others. So yeah. there's nothing wrong with self-edification. In fact, yeah. Jude commands us, build yourselves up or edify yourselves on your most holy faith. So here's what I think going to come down Let me say, yeah, you're right. They were individual experiences. I don't know how they cannot be. Mm-hmm. But they are individual experiences designed to make me a, a, a more humble, more mature, more aware Christian so that I can be then of benefit and can be more readily used to edify others. It always has an other orientation, sure. but that doesn't eliminate the individual himself. Sure, I, I think we're going to have to get into this later on, but one of the things that I do want to follow up on, and I know that, Tim, you want to follow up on, especially based upon what he just said, is this idea of maturity. Um, I think that you you would say maybe that oh gosh I, I can't even bring this up right no now bring it up man we can solve this in four minutes because no, I've got a thing I've got a sense that no I would not say but go ahead <laughs> well I, I think that you would say that this issue does not affect your spiritual maturity I'm not sure but whether uh, you know if you're not a charismatic doesn't necessarily mean that you're less mature as a Christian. But I, no, it, obviously, I'm some of like the greatest and most influential 
theologians and pastors and scholars of church history were cessationists. But how can you, based on what you said, the mutual edification, mm-hmm. and you even used the word maturity, and I'll back up and make you listen to that oh, sacrifice. I'll, I'll <laughs> own up to my words. <laughs> I'm not afraid. You said, uh, for the maturity of the church. Yes. And then you said, also, the gifts are for the individual, because they start with the individual and edify the individual. Yes. But don't they mature the individual as well in order to mature the church? Yes. Yeah. So if we are not practicing, would you say this? If we are not charismatic, you are not absolute, but probably going to have less tools for maturity. And I'm trying yeah, to frame I would, that. I would way. agree with that. But okay. but but and, but so, let me so, be real careful. I, I we must avoid. I don't like the comparing Christians, comparing individ, one individual's maturity with another. So if somebody asked me, Sam, do you think that you're more mature Christian than Michael or Tim because you exercise these gifts? I would say absolutely not. I'm not better than you for having these gifts. I'm better than what I used to be before I exercised these gifts. That's fair. It's a comparison within my own development in relationship to Christ. There may be reasons in uh, in your life and things that you do in your in terms of spiritual discipline and other uh, areas of sanctification that would actually result in you being far more mature and humble and passionate for God than I am and the issue of spiritual gifts doesn't even come to factor in uh, there are people who are profoundly gifted who are utterly I say, oh, this is an extreme statement. <laughs> Seriously devoid of character. And I just want to make sure that in yeah. our discussion, we realize that character always, always trumps and and comes before and is to be elevated above gifting. And, always and character I, above and gifting. And I think that's why we can be friends. We can walk exactly. together. We can love each other. We can recommend to you know, people to be mentored by each other and things like that because we recognize that we have that, that connection. Sam, would you say someone at Bridgeway who God – these are gifts we're talking about, right? So God actually gives these to people. We don't earn them or steal them out of his hands um, that – Someone at Bridgeway at your church who has a gift of hospitality, and that's the only gift that the Spirit will ever give that person, then the only way that they can ever exercise any spiritual gift is hospitality. That's the only thing that the Spirit ever handed to them, that they can be – that you would say – exercise that gift to its fullest potential you'll never have the gift of prophecy tongues healing and uh you know live long and prosper using your gift of hospitality absolutely because every spiritual gift whether hospitality evangelism teaching or tongues is given according to the sovereign will of the spirit first yeah. corinthians 7 11 or excuse me 12 11 and and so yes i, I i'm not saying that because uh, Christian A speaks in tongues and has the gift of evangelism is necessarily going to be more mature or more godly than Christian B, or even whose only gift is that of mercy. Or even experience the Spirit in more fullness, because that person operating within their gift of hospitality may experience the nearness of the Spirit no, I, I would just as much, with would you say? Going because of the mutual edification. If somebody in my church has the gift of prophecy, I mutually benefit from them. And so it does me well in that situation okay. to have more access to the power of the Spirit because I'm in a situation that not only believes in these things but allows them to function and... Yeah, but I think what Tim is saying, unless I misunderstand him, I, I, I hear him saying that if there is a Christian whose only spiritual gift is that of hospitality, that does not 
um, limit them or hinder them from being uh, as godly and mature and as Christ-exalting as a person who might have the gift of teaching and the gift of prophecy and has been used by God in healing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I would agree with you. Okay. Okay, good. I I just kind of took it as, you know, they're in that church and they're never going to get tongues and so they shouldn't seek it. Yes, they should as a church, though. That person should seek it within the body as the body, maybe not personally, they're not necessarily seeking well, it. Well, but you'd recommend that they do seek that gift, but then that they will find that they're given the gift of hospitality, and then that they should then operate within that for the rest of their life. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and I, and I guess my point is I think that a local church that believes in, encourages, and facilitates all of the gifts in exercise, that the potential is there for its people to grow um, – more successfully, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, um, more intentionally than a church that very consciously and strategically suppresses any expression of those gifts and openly denies that they are valid. Well, the way I'd put it is maybe, and here's me on the other side talking about your side, is that you experience (laughs) the presence of God in a different way, which whatever benefits those are, which are huge, you know? I mean, Sure, that's part of it. And, and, I mean... uh, you got the gift of prophecy, which, by the way, we'll talk about sometime. You know, we'll focus in on the gift of prophecy and what Sam means by that. But you got the gift of prophecy, and that's going to be mutually beneficial for everybody and experiencing of God in a different way than than you would if you didn't have that. And to experience God to the maximum of his benefits is what we all seek, and that's part of the reason sure. why we're doing this series and trying mm-hmm. to understand this issue. Yeah. Guys, we are out of time, way out of time. And we do appreciate uh, you guys joining us for this. Again, one of the main purposes of this is just to show this interaction being mutually benefited, us three in here, JJ, whenever he comes back, Mm -hmm. have our audience mutually benefited. But I do want to reiterate, folks, those of you who are out there, those of you who come from the traditions that kind of follow us, that as as you look at Sam, we love Sam a great deal. And, and we, he, he is uh, someone we look up to a great deal. But I do want to emphasize once again that you can so easily place charismatics in one area and identify them with Benny Hens and the, the people that are on TV that do all this bizarre stuff. And we're trying to distinguish that, and I hope you recognize that. I hope you're seeing that. So I'm going to repeat that not only right now, just because it's so important, but we'll repeat it over and over again because you cannot deal with this issue so long as those associations exist. So continue to come here, continue to listen, continue to see the disassociation and us talk about this in a way I think that honors the Lord in a biblical way and a very theologically astute way, I hope. But great to have you guys. Great conversation. Thanks. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes Store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.